Welcome to Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts. In each episode, I'll read one short story from the pages of vintage science fiction magazines from the pulp and digest eras. Join me as we explore stories from a bygone era. Some are long forgotten. Others have had a lasting impact on science fiction. Stories are selected that represent interesting, compelling, or exciting examples of science fiction from the 1930s to the 1960s. In the first season of Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts, I'm reading stories from Universe Science Fiction. Universe Science Fiction was first published in June 1953 by Ray Palmer. It ran for just 10 issues, with its run ending in March 1955. It was then merged with another of Palmer's magazines, Other Worlds, which later became Flying Saucers from Other Worlds. Today's story is Minor Miracle a story written by Richard O. Lewis and published in issue 8 of Universe Science Fiction. Kate and Mike had caused the trouble, so the professor reasoned that it was up to them to do something about it. Mayor Botley was relaxing in his big leather chair beside the table model radio, which was playing something unpretentious from one of the old masters. His glasses were high upon his freckle-blotched forehead, his eyes were closed, the newspaper had fallen across his ample stomach, and he was snoring softly, almost apologetically. The closing of the back door screen did not arouse him, nor did the heavy footsteps of his wife as she crossed the kitchen and entered the living room. Mrs. Botley surveyed her husband briefly, then sat down in the chair by the table and wiped the glow from her florid face with a torn bandana of blue. Mike and Kate have been at it again, she announced. Mrs. Bittendop just informed me. The mayor stirred but did not quite open his eyes. Burying bones? Right in the middle of her cabbages. Last time it was her tulips. Now it's her cabbages. And such big dogs, too. My, it's warm. She wiped her face again. The mayor drew a long and thoughtful breath that moved the newspaper, then let it out again. The dogs have got to go, he said judiciously. Their owners were warned once before. Can't have such goings on in Sprigville. The dogs have got to go. It has been so decreed. Probably get a rain sometime this evening. Mrs. Botley pulled herself up from her chair, lumbered out the front door to the sidewalk, and turned left. The great elms interlacing green branches high above the street made an avenue of cool shade, but the shade lessened the flow of perspiration only slightly. Halfway down the next block, Mrs. Bide was mowing her bit of lawn in front of her flower-bordered white house. Mrs. Botley paused long enough to catch her breath and deliver the ultimatum. The dogs have got to go, she whispered across the fence. The mayor has decreed so. Warm, isn't it? Yes, said Mrs. Bide. She left the lawnmower where it was, stepped gingerly over a flower bed, and went hurriedly along the little walkway around the house in the direction of the alley which separated her backyard from that belonging to her neighbor, Mrs. Bittendopf. The shade gave way to the glare of the two-block-long business district of Sprigville. Mrs. Botley turned in at the post office, squinted into her empty box, then paused at the stamp window. 
The dogs have got to go, she told the postmaster. The mayor decreed so not two minutes ago. The postmaster rubbed the gray stubble on his chin. About time, he admitted reflectively. Dogs bearing bones in gardens is a nuisance. In the butcher's shop next door, Mrs. Botley selected a pound of oleo, a package of clothespins, and the third loaf of bread she had cautiously pinched for freshness. The dogs have got to go, she told the butcher as he wrote down the purchases in her account book. The mayor has decreed it. He said so just a few minutes ago. Warm? The butcher nodded. He waited until Mrs. Botley left the store, then he rolled up his apron, tucked it carefully into the top of his trousers, put on a straw hat that had once been a dress-up hat, and went out the back door. He entered the backyard of the brown house across the alley. Mrs. Nillen opened the back door to his second series of wrappings. She was dressed in a house mock of gay print, and, as was usual with her, had a ready smile. Why, hello, she said. What brings you out on such a hot day? The butcher took off his hat and wiped his brow with the back of a moist hand. Just hurried over to tell you the news, he said. Mrs. Botley was in just a minute ago. She said that the mayor had definitely decided that you had to get rid of Mike and Kate. Guess old swanky pants Bittendorf has been complaining again. Just look at this backyard, Mrs. Nillen invited. The weeds are taking it, and that ash pile hasn't been cleaned up since this time last year. Maybe I could send one of the boys over to help you out. I guess somebody will have to do it. I can't depend on Mr. Nillen. He's so interested in his old books that he can't remember from one day till the next anything I tell him. The butcher nodded his understanding. He couldn't quite visualize the professor, as the townspeople called Mr. Nillen, doing anything about the ashes, even if he did remember it. Well, I just thought I'd come over and tell you about the dogs. I'll see what I can do. I'll tell Mr. Nillen, but I doubt if he'll get around to doing anything. You know how he is. She made a gesture of helplessness with her hands. Certainly going to be a hot day. It's a lot hotter now than it was this time yesterday, the butcher admitted. Feeling a bit sorry for Mrs. Nillen, he began retracing his steps toward the back door of his shop. Well, he'd done all he could do. Such a nice woman, too. Friendly, good talker, people liked her. She wasn't at all like the professor. Good thing she was so well-liked, too. Otherwise, the school board might have fired the professor from the local high school a year or two ago. They still remembered that pointless and boring talk he had given a couple years ago during the graduation exercises. Had talked for a full hour about some old coot who had taken Hemlock to poison himself. Not very many of the kids liked him either. And he didn't mingle at all with the townspeople. Couldn't even remember anyone's name. The butcher shook his head sadly and opened his back door. And there was that time when he had hopped about in the front yard in plain daylight with a ball, playing toss and catch with himself like a six-year-old. Ball wasn't a regular ball either. Sometimes he threw it up in the air, it would stay up there for nearly a half minute before falling down again. And when said people stopped on the front sidewalk to watch him, he got so mad that he threw the ball up in the air so hard that it never did come back down again. At least, no one ever saw it again. Yes, everyone liked Mrs. Nillen, and felt just a little sorry for her. Professor Nillen didn't look up from his thick book when his wife entered the living room and crossed over to the windowed alcove that served him as reading room and library. His high forehead, topped by short-cropped hair of iron gray, was creased in its habitual thought pattern. His deep-set black eyes, unaided by glasses, were focused upon the book with such world-detaching intent that they seemed to be looking through the pages rather than at them. The dogs have got to go. Mrs. Nillen waited for the space of a long breath, 
then said it again. The dogs have got to go. The mayor decided it just a few minutes ago. Professor Nilling closed a long finger into his book to mark his place, raised his head slightly, and gazed long and thoughtfully into the space directly ahead of him. The Greek title of the book, translated, was Miracle, Mystery, and Mechanology. It was one of several he owned that had been written and compiled by a group of Chinese philosophers. Dog has been the benefactor and protector of man for untold ages, he reasoned, a note of bitterness in his low tones. It is extremely doubtful if humanity could have survived without their aid, and now the mayor has decided to render them into extinction. He shook his head slowly. Whatever could possess him. I don't mean all dogs, hastened his wife. I mean Mike and Kate. They've got to go. Professor Nillen looked relieved, but annoyed. He opened his book again and refocused his eyes. But why bother me about simple acts of nature? If they've got to go, they've got to go. I don't mean that either. Professor Nillen's annoyance heightened visibly. He reclosed his finger into the book. One of the many strange things about human beings, he said pointedly, is how they can persist in distorting the semantics of a reasonably lucid language to the extent of conveying ideas so remote from the intended. Just what do you mean? Mrs. Nillen sat down upon the arm of the Davenport near him. This, she guessed, might take some little time. I am speaking of Mike and Kate, she explained. They have been burying bones in Mrs. Bittendop's garden, uprooting her cabbages. Professor Nillen shook his head and sighed. I knew the race was degenerating rapidly, but I didn't expect it to reach this low point of decline for at least another fifteen or twenty years. Dogs, shouted Mrs. Nillen. Mike and Kate are dogs, our dogs. But we have no dogs. Kate came to our door in the middle of the winter, cold and half-starved. I fed her. A month or so later, Mike came along and, well fell in love with her, or whatever dogs do, and stayed. Now the two dogs are burying bones in neighboring gardens, and the owners are complaining. The mayor says that we have to get rid of the dogs. Professor Nillen, knowing well the limitations of the average human brain and ever alert to its fallacious reasoning, considered carefully the purport of his wife's statements. The presence of bones presupposes the existence of meat, he reasoned. Our daily menu, however, wholly denies that assumption. The butcher tosses the bones to them out the back door of his shop. Professor Nillen nodded his understanding and opened his book again. The usual faulty logic, he announced. The typical homo sapien proclivity for treating the symptom instead of the cause. The answer is simple. Eliminate the butcher. Mrs. Nillen sprang from the arm of the Davenport. I don't see how you have brains enough to teach school, she cried in exasperation. I don't, really, he admitted, after giving the switch in conversation careful thought. In fact, no one does. The offspring of the Homo sapien does not lend itself readily to instruction. After 12 or 13 years of nearly constant proximity to various and sundry branches of knowledge, it emerges from the painful ordeal, less fitted to its environment than a day-old annelid. In some cases, it can neither read, write, speak, nor understand its native language. And the lawn needs mowing, she flung at him. Raising his eyes slowly from the book, Professor Nillen turned his head questioningly toward his wife. The thought lines of his forehead were deepened with perplexity. I experience grave difficulties in following your disconnected thought process sufficiently to comprehend how the lawn became involved in the conversation. 
I fail to recognize any possible sequence. Dogs on the lawn, bones in the grass. Lawnmower bumping the bones. Lawn needs mowing. The professor nodded his head in slow comprehension. Typical of the human mind, he affirmed. It toils mightily through the trivia to arrive gloriously at the unimportant. All the lawns in this block are neatly trimmed. Ours is a mess. The world is filled with mystery and miracle, mused the professor, and human beings wander through it, oblivious. They live and die, never quite understanding, or even attempting to understand, the miracle of life itself. They struggle through gravity and dismiss it with a Newtonian shrug. They glance at the myriad stars of night and attribute their existence to whatever divinity happens to be in popular favor in their particular part of the world. Ignoring miracle, they cozen trivia. They speak of food, clothing, dogs, gardens, lawns, the probable state of the weather, and the progress of the neighbor's wife's pregnancy with no understanding or probing of the greater mystery behind any of it. Miracles occur beneath their noses every hour of the day, but their minds are so cluttered and distorted with the overload of non-essentials that they cannot grasp the presence of the miracles without immediately becoming sidetracked and hopelessly lost again in the labyrinthian forest. Mrs. Nillen unclenched her teeth sufficiently to grind out, You've got to do something. You've got to do something about the dogs. Professor Nillen's dark eyes came slowly back from their sojourn into the thought world to focus again upon the presence. The dogs? Oh, yes, the dogs. He allowed himself another moment of deep thought. I shall attempt to attack the problem with the simplicity it seems to deserve, he decided, finally. First, let us pose the question. Did I bury the bones in Mrs. Bittendoff's garden? The answer, obviously, is no. Second, did the dogs bury the bones in Mrs. Bittendoff's garden? Indications are to the affirmative. Therefore, logic dictates, quite plainly, that the dogs, rather than I, should be consulted concerning the, oh, oh hell, Mrs. Nillen strode out of the room. Go, go talk to the dogs yourself, she cried. Go. Whatever else she might have told him to go was lost in the noise of clattering pots and pans. Professor Nillen reviewed the conversation animadversively from its beginning to its ending. One by one, he brought each successive point into light for complete inspection, staying longest upon his wife's last coherent statement. Finally, he put a marker into his book, laid it carefully upon the table beside his chair, arose, and went out into the shade of the front porch. Several dogs were playing a lethargic game of nip and dodge in the deep grass. Mike? Kate? he called. Come here. The rest of you fellows go home. Two dogs detached themselves from the group and came to sit quietly in front of the porch. The others hesitated a moment, then lowered their tails to half-mast, those that had tails, and went dog-trotting away in as many directions as there were dogs. The professor surveyed the two dogs before him. One was quite huge, broad of head and shoulder, white and silky of pelt, and of an unguessable genealogy. Its brown, intelligent eyes were those of a dreamer. The other was an... Airedale Collie Shepherd type, with dirty black and brown hair, a narrow head, close-set eyes, and dejected ears. Which one of you is Mike? the professor asked. The white dog wagged its tail. And you fell in love with this, this critter? She is not a critter, said Mike. She is a dog, and a beautiful one at that. Kate lowered her head demurely, till the tips of her long ears dangled coyly about the dribbles at the end of her pointed nose. 
Be that as it may, resumed the professor, it has been brought forcefully to my attention that you've been disturbing the indigenous peace of this neighborhood by burying bones and gardens. Bones make excellent fertilization, defended Mike, given enough time. True, Professor Nillen nodded his agreement. But human beings do not understand that. They see only the obvious, perceive only that which has a limited intelligence permits. We thought it was better to bury them than to leave them lying in the yard, said Mike, just in case you might want to mow it. Oh, yes, the lawn. The dark eyes of the professor encompassed the situation at a glance. Please step up here on the porch, out of the way for a moment. A leap carried the dogs to his side. Professor Nillen made a casual flip of the fingers toward the shaggy grass. A shimmering flame of pastel blue rippled across the front yard in the twinkle of an eye, leaving behind it a well-trimmed lawn. Couple of bones there you overlooked, he reprimanded. Mike nodded. We'll take care of them immediately, sir. We'll bury... Oops, sorry. You must realize, the professor explained, that for your own well-being, you must conform to the existing decadence. Now, talk it over between you and try to arrive at a logical solution that will be illogical enough to meet the requirements of an a-logical species. Mrs. Bolly entered her back door a few minutes after the conclusion of a satisfying visit with Mrs. Bittendopf. Mrs. Bittendopf had agreed with her wholeheartedly that it was the warmest day of the season. She crossed the kitchen and entered the living room just as Mayor Botley turned from closing the front door. Visitors? she asked. Mayor Botley nodded. Mike and Kate. They stopped by to tell me that they wouldn't bury any more bones. He let himself down into the confines of his leather chair. They're going to pile them up back of the butcher shop when they have finished with them. Seemed like pretty smart dogs. Mrs. Botley sat down in the straight chair beside the table. That was real nice of them, she said, wiping ineffectually at her face with her overly moist bandana. Coming by on such a hot day, too. Probably get her rain sometime this evening, predicted the mayor. Minor Miracle is a story written by Richard O. Lewis, a prolific short story writer. While I came into contact with his work through science fiction, he's had plenty of mystery work published, too. Little information is available online about Richard. If you know more about Richard O. Lewis, drop me a note on Twitter at Sci-Fi Shorts Pod. All issues of Universe Science Fiction are available on the Internet Archive at archive.org. <laughs>